Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. As you grab a seat, you can grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. That's where we will be today. <clears throat> it's good to see you. Uh, my name is Lawson Flowers. I'm the student and family minister here. Um, and I think I just learned why, you know, the fundamentalists didn't ever raise their hands in worship. It's kind of hard with a coat on, you know? <laughs> You've got to wear this to church. It's, maybe that's not the only reason they, they didn't raise their hands. But, um, the, uh, but it's good to be with you. And it's a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, I, uh, it's not only a privilege to be with you this morning, but a privilege to be a part of this church family. Caroline and I, my wife, um, just love you. Uh, we're so blessed by you, and, and we are thankful to the Lord for uh, giving us this kind of a church family. And so I'm excited today uh, to look at God's Word with you. Uh, I, I will mention before we start that uh, this is our last week with two services. So next week we start uh, three services uh, they're going to be an hour and a half apart, starting at 8.30, 8.30, 10, 11.30. So, uh, so do please uh, plan to join us for one of those, not at the 9 or 11, because those won't exist anymore. You'll be coming awkwardly in the middle of something. Um, and so I hope you can join us uh, for those. And, and pray, for, pray for Pastor Jeff, as he'll be preaching uh, three times. So uh, keep him in your prayers next week. Our passage today is Ephesians uh, 5, and it's verses 1 through 21. And, and the disadvantage of a standalone sermon like this. So we, we ended our family discipleship series last week, uh, which was wonderful. If you missed it, you can catch it on the podcast. Uh, and then we're starting next week our, our series on heaven, which uh, you should be excited about. Um, and you should be even more excited about heaven, but hopefully that's what the series will help you to be. Uh, but in, in the middle, so this is a, a standalone. It's not a part of a series. And the disadvantage of that is that we haven't been studying the first four chapters of Ephesians together, right? We come to, uh, to this passage out of context, which is not the best way to read anything. Um, so by, by way of overview, uh, the, the first half of the book of Ephesians, so chapters one through three, are really about what God has done for us in Christ. Um, and Paul, in, in just some of his most cosmic and striking language, uh, just talks about how he chose us, right? In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. Uh, he saved us by grace. Uh, he sealed us with his spirit. One of, the, one of the main themes in Ephesians is the church. And Paul talks about how through the death of Jesus, uh, God has really taken people who, who are enemies, who should have been enemies, uh, who would usually hate each other and try to kill each other, and has, through reconciling them to God, also reconciled them to each other and, and made us family. So, so the first three chapters of Ephesians is really about what God has done for us. We could say broadly, it's theology. Okay, it's about God and what he has done. Um, the last three chapters of Ephesians, so four through six, uh, Paul really talks about how we should respond. He builds off the first three and says, how should we respond to what God has done? Uh, his main metaphor, uh, in is, starting in chapter four, is that we walk, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is how we live, how we walk, and he'll continue that. We'll see in chapter five. Uh, and so this is how we, we live, okay? So, so broadly, um, we, we can say that, that the first half is theology, and the second half is practice, okay? Now, of course, there's a lot of practice in the first, and, and there's a lot of theology in the second half, but I think broadly that's helpful because what we do always flows out of what we believe and what we know of God and what we know that he has done for us. Okay, and it's helpful, I think, for us to know we're in the practical section 
this week, okay? Uh, so we're talking about living uh, in the Christian life, practical uh, things. So uh, it, let's, let's read it together. If you, if you will, uh, stand in honor of God's word. If you're able, uh, please do that. And we will read Ephesians 5, uh, 1 through 21. Verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Pray with me. Father, we need you now. Would you open your word to us? Father, our, our, our yes is on the table to you. Uh, whatever you would ask of us, whatever you want to do by your word, I pray that you would do. I pray that anything that is my words, anything that simply man's wisdom would just fall on deaf ears, that, that uh, we would forget those things quickly. But anything, Lord, that is your word, that is from your truth, that it would, you would plant that deep in our hearts and you would bear fruit to eternal life. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Paul says uh, three times in this passage to walk, okay? He says, walk in love in verse two. Uh, He says, walk as uh, children of light in verse eight. Yeah, he says, look carefully in how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, walk wisely in verse 15. Um, And and so uh, this is a way to think about this passage and how we're gonna look at it today is uh, God wants us to live or to walk in reality, he wants us to walk in, in reality um, because the truth is, and what the Bible consistently asserts, for instance, in verse two, uh, if you look at verse two, it says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Okay, so what, what the Bible consistently asserts is that God is as real as your mom. Um, and and as, as surely as you got up today and got dressed and came to this building, as surely as that is an event that happened, uh, Jesus Christ came and died a brutal death on the cross for you and for me and rose from the dead. Okay, one of the great things about our faith is that it's, 
it's based on history. <laughs> it's not a theory. It, it's, not a, it's not a great story, even like, like a Les Miserables, you know, maybe an inspiring story, but not a true one. This isn't uh, science fiction. It's not some kind of religious theory. It's not just positive thinking that might improve your life. This is history. Jesus came in the flesh, died, uh, rose from the dead. He loved us and gave himself for us, and he came to life again. And, and this just changes. It just changes everything. It, it must change everything. If that, if that doesn't change your life, then what that shows is that you're ignoring the reality that God wants you to live in. Okay, you're, and, and many are, many of us are. Okay? Everyone who doesn't believe this, and I, I really don't mean this is an insult to you if you're not a Christian. I'm glad you're here. You're welcome. You must have known you would get a Christian sermon. Uh, but everyone uh, who doesn't live in this, is, believe this, is, uh, is living in different shades and depths of lies and deception and blindness and darkness. As Christians, we also struggle, don't we? Uh, we can be honest, to, to live in this reality. Uh, and we can even describe following Jesus as just learning to submit in more and more areas to the Lord. Can we to live more and more in the light and less in the darkness, to, to walk more and more in, in reality instead of unreality? So the question that we're going to look at today from this passage is, how do we walk in reality? How do we walk in reality? How does God call us to this? Uh, we'll look at four topics that Paul brings out to answer this question. Walking in love, first. Second, walking as light. Third, walking wisely. And lastly, being filled by the Holy Spirit. Walking in love, walking as light, walking wisely, being filled by the Holy Spirit. So first, walking in love. Um, Paul points us here in verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A lot of people, even people who claim to be Christians, uh, really look at commands like this in the Bible, the commands of God, as a way to, to earn God's love and acceptance, right? Do this so that God will love you. And, and they just get it, that's exactly backwards, right? They just get it exactly backwards. Uh, the, the verse doesn't say, imitate God so you can be a beloved child. Imitate God or you will not be a beloved. That's not what he says. It says, imitate him as his beloved children, okay? Okay. Um, a few months ago, my, my five-year-old son, Brooks, uh, came up to my wife and said, could, could you give me a short haircut? Because I want to stick it up so I can be just like Dad. All right, just melt your heart. Uh, he, he loves to, sometimes he'll dress like me even. He'll, he'll, I come out with like a you know, blue polo and a jeans and boots on, and he'll run into his room and come out a few minutes later, and he'll be dressed exactly like me and just be so proud, right? I, I just love him. I love that kid. Uh, he imitates me, right? And Paul says, imitate God like that, as beloved children. Okay, so just like Brooks isn't trying to, uh, to be like me out of obligation, right? I haven't been like, you better look like me, right? No, uh, he's, he's, he's motivated out of love for me because I love him. Uh, we shouldn't obey God's commands to love others from a sense of obligation, but from a deep awareness, I have been loved. I have been loved. The gospel, the good news that Christ gave himself for me, Christ, for me, right? When that sinks in deep, and only then will we be overwhelmed by his love so that we can actually love others in the same way that he's loved us. His magnificent love for us must motivate us, must be our motivation to love. 
And you, and you just can't miss that. You can't, you can't miss it because if you try to obey from any other motivation, try to follow any of this passage um, except for this motivation, you'll either become proud and arrogant because you'll, you'll do it and you'll be like, yeah, and you'll look down on others who can't do it as well as you can. Or uh, you'll be driven to despair because you'll fail. I mean, I can't do this, right? You'll either be proud or you'll be driven to despair. The, the, the gospel is the only way to both stay humble and continue to love others well. It's the only sustainable motivation for our lives. As John uh, said in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. That's why. So the reality is, reality, we have a good dad who loves us. It's, it's really good news. We want to be like him. So we, we love others. Okay, this, is, this is a way that we live in line with reality. Okay, um, so that's walking in love. How, how else do we live in reality? Um, next, walking as light. Paul brings this out. What does that mean, to walk as light? In verse 8, uh, Paul says, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now, in other places, he says, walk uh, in the light, right? That's another biblical uh, theme. But this one, he doesn't say walk in light. He says, you are light, right? Walk as light. Uh, light and darkness, it's, it's imagery the Bible often uses for good and evil, for holiness and sin. And Paul says, once you were darkness, but now you've come into the light. And, and not only have you come into it, but it's transformed you. You are light. Uh, and, and so now walk in ways that are in line with that reality, that are good and right and true. Okay? To walk in old ways would be unreality because you are light now. It's not who you are. What, what are some of those old ways? Paul says them in verse 3. A sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Okay? What are these? Sexual immorality. Any kind of sex or sexual activity outside of marriage. Right? Outside of one man, one woman for life. Anything outside of that uh, sexual immorality. Impurity. Second, still has, uh, still has a sexual connotation, but it just covers anything else you can think of, right? Uh, certainly pornography, uh, which just is a huge problem in our society and continues to be even, even uh, uh, sadly in the church. Um, and, and then lastly, covetousness, covetousness, uh, which is an inappropriate wanting of what someone else has, uh, right? Which it may seem a little strange to put, if you're going to just list three things, you list uh, these three, sexual morality, impurity, and then covetousness. That, how does that go? with the other ones. But it's really, this is actually very in line with, with the rest of the Bible. If you, look at, uh, if you look at the parentheses in verse 5, when it's talking about someone who is, a, who is covetous, uh, it says, that is an idolater. Okay? So, so covetousness is getting uh, to the heart of sin in general, and, and this sexual sin in, in uh, particular. It's not just the outward action that's sinful. It's not just the, the sex. It's not just the looking. It's not just the inappropriate conversation. It's, it's the inside. It's what's going on inside. It's the desire for something that isn't yours, something that God has not given you. You shouldn't have it. God hasn't given it to you. Uh, it's the inner desire of Eve in the garden. God's holding out on me, right? He, he's not after my good. He just wants to restrict me. I want freedom, right? This is, this is the inner desire of idolatry. And it's taking God off the throne of your heart and sitting down on that throne yourself. I'm gonna be the king. So every time you look at pornography, every time you take second lustful glance, every time you do that thing you know you shouldn't, it's not just the outward action that's wrong, though that is wrong, uh, but it's not just that. Uh, it, it's much, much deeper than that. You are playing God, right? Which is, correct me if I'm wrong, contrary to reality, is it not? You are not God. 
I am not God. Why would we do that? That's very stupid. Um, That's not smart. That's suicidal, right? Uh, Which is what verses 5 and 6 say. Look Look at 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or who's covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This is another part of reality that we just can't ignore. Okay? As surely as Jesus Christ came the first time and to die and to rise, he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Those who are rebelling against him will be rightly and forever punished, sent to hell forever. Okay? And just notice the Bible does not sugarcoat this. Right? Like, I wish I could say, well, wrath, it doesn't really mean it's bad. But it does. It just says it, right? It says it right out. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Um, and, and the Bible always tells us the truth. God's very honest with us. And we should be thankful for that, right? He doesn't use euphemisms. He is very honest and straightforward with us about the truth. We should live with the reality of God's judgment in mind. It doesn't fill us with the type of urgency it should. The reality of God's wrath, it even changes how we talk. Look at verse 4. There be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. Okay, this is the type of talk that the sexually immoral, the impure, the covetous participate in. Um, And I I just love how practical this is. Don't you love when the Bible gets practical? Don't tell dirty or crude or racist jokes. Don't do it. Right. I I, I know it's funny sometimes. Okay, but but it's funny because in that moment we are forgetting reality. We're forgetting the reality that God's wrath is coming because of this type of thing. That's what it says. Right? This kind of selfish impurity, this kind of filthiness, that's why God's wrath is coming. So don't talk foolishly. Right? Don't, don't just ramble on about stupid things. Should we, who know the Lord, who know his coming, who know the, the kingdom, engage in just a lot of silliness, foolish talk? No, we shouldn't. God's grace and his wrath should bring a certain seriousness to our lives, a certain gravity to our thinking but not a sadness, right? It doesn't say, so you be somber all the time and you always frown, right? That's not what it says. Look at what it says instead. Look at what it says our speech should be characterized instead of uh, filthiness, foolish talking, crude joking. We're into verse four, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be thankful, okay? And we, we should be thankful, which lines up with reality, doesn't it? Doesn't it line up with reality that if I'm born a sinner, dead in my sins, without hope in the world, a slave to rebellion, a slave to sin, a slave to the prince of the power of the air, to the devil himself, right? Without hope in the world, in utter darkness, which is, this is just Ephesians 2, right? Uh, And then boom, the Holy Spirit shines into my heart and, and shines the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I know the love of the Father through the sacrifice of the Son in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and I'm alive, though I did nothing to deserve it. we should be forever thankful, shouldn't we? Should that evoke any other response in us besides, oh my gosh, thank you so much, right? It should. We should be thankful forever. And a thankful heart, it just doesn't line up with filthy speech. You just can't, those can't, those can't coexist. Thankful heart does not line up with filthy speech. Out of the heart, 
The mouth speaks, actually. It shows what's in your heart. The last thing I'll say about light, uh, being light, is uh, look at verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Okay? So we, we don't participate in darkness. Instead, we expose it. We expose it. And I, I don't think this means you walk up to a non-Christian and be like, hey, bro, you're rebelling against God. I'm going to expose you. Right? Not, that's not maybe. If God tells you to do that, then go ahead. But um, I don't think that's what it means. I think it means, rather, as we live as light, as we're imitating God, right? as, we're, as we're ethical, as we're honest, as we're compassionate, just, loving, merciful, our lives expose the darkness and the futility of self-centered and rebellious lives. And even God will use our lives to convince others to come to him, okay? Um, that's probably what verse 14 means. Anything that becomes visible is light. And, and that's probably what the, why Paul adds this, uh, this hymn, right? This is an early, early Christian hymn, like a chorus from an early Christian hymn maybe. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay? Uh, think of the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. So when God, the God who said the light shine out of darkness at the very beginning, when he shines into our hearts with the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ, sin becomes visible for what it is. Our lives become visible for what they are. Our own rebellion, we see that clearly, right? Uh, the, the, the world and, and everything in it, we see that clearly. Uh, what God has done for us, all we see, we, we understand for the first time all of this thing. We see true reality, and it transforms us. We become light. And if you're not a Christian, uh, perhaps God is shining into your heart right now. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, if you come to the light, Jesus will shine on you. Right? Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. He's not here to shame you. He wants to shine on you. He wants to make you light. Uh, you, you, you can become light like him. You can begin to walk in Christian honesty and transparency, freedom. You can experience grace, real grace for the first time. And, and then God will use you to, to help others. God will use you to help others experience the same grace. Christians, brothers and sisters in here, this is the light that we invite everyone into with our words and with our lives. We invite others to experience this transforming light. All right, how do, how do we shine like that? How do we walk as light like that? Well, it, it takes walking in wisdom. And that's the next section, walking in wisdom. Look at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It is wise to live in line with reality. That's wisdom, right? Foolishness would be living out of line with reality, what is real. And, and what does it mean in this verse to live a wise life? It says, I'm just reading the next part, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Okay? Uh, we, we have limited time here. Okay? We have limited time here. That, this is another of those realities. It's just easy to forget. It's easy to overlook. Uh, but it's absolutely essential to a wise life. If you're playing a video game and there's a, a time limit to your mission, right, it's important that you use every, you know, you you get after it, OK? 
okay? Uh, if the submarine is exploding in T minus three minutes, you have to use every moment, right? Or you're going to go down with the sub. Uh, at, at work, uh, if the big report is due to your boss at 5 p.m., you're not like on your favorite blogs at 4 p.m., right? No, you're working. You're, you're, you're working to accomplish that. If there's a time limit, you get, you get to work on the mission. So let me remind you, as I try to faithfully do for the students as often as I can because they're young and it's easy when you're younger to overlook, uh, is that you are going to die. In real life, you're going to die. The last study I read, I think 10 out of 10 people die. Um, you, you've got a short life ahead of you, right? I don't care. You're like, I'm young. I got 80 years. Okay, 80 years. You get to the end of it. I guarantee you what you're going to say is, oh, I went by like that. That's what everyone says. By like that. It's going to seem short to you. You have a short life ahead of you. Uh, you. You'll stop breathing. They'll put you in the ground and eat meatloaf, and then it's over. Right? This is, this is reality. This is what's happening. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just, you got to deal with it. This is reality, right? Um, so what, what are you living for? How are you using your time? Are you living wisely? Not only is the time limited, but the days are evil, it says. Satan has still today and, and still until God throws him into the lake of fire forever. He has some power here, right? He has some authority here. He, he works here, and we feel that, don't we? we? We have an enemy who wants to destroy us, so we can't waste opportunities, right? Think of a soldier who's behind enemy lines. Uh, he's, he's there to rescue some hostages, but he kind of sleeps in late, gets up, enjoys the local scenery, goes to a little coffee shop. You know, he has a chance to kind of rescue some people, but he just puts it off till the next day, right? That's a treasonous soldier. Like that's, that doesn't even make sense. And that's a foolish soldier. And in the same way, we have limited time and we have a strong enemy against us. It would be foolish to ignore that. And, and which is why verse 17 says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Like that soldier, we've been given a mission. We've been, we've been tasked with things. Uh, that, that's why as a church, we talk about making disciples and making much of Jesus, right? That's our mission statement. It's not just like, we're church, we have to have a mission statement. What do you want to do? I don't know, it's just these cool sounding words. No, no, that's actually what we think God has called us to, right? That's what we think we're doing until he calls us home, making disciples and making much of Jesus. We're not just waiting for the rapture, right? Um, we got things to do. Like Paul says at the, in chapter 2, verse 10, God has prepared good works beforehand for us to walk in. We have things to do. We have a mission. Are we living wisely? Are we making the most of every opportunity? So keep these realities in mind, okay? And, and, and know what God is asking of you. Uh, what are the realities that we've said? What have, what have we talked about? Some of the things to keep in mind. God is real, right? He's as real as your mom. He's as real as the person sitting next to you. Uh, Jesus came, loved us, died, and rose in history. Unbelievable. Uh, we, who, we who trust Jesus are light. We're transformed. We, we are in God's family now. We, we have a good dad who loves us. God's wrath is coming on evildoers. We only have a short time here. Satan is a real enemy who's bent on our destruction. God has given us a mission. Keep these realities in mind. It's going to be hard to do that. So don't get drunk. It's kind of a joke, but it's actually what Paul says next. In verse 18. Uh, look at verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But debauchery is a really good Bible word. Don't lose that word. Debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. So how can we walk in love? How can we walk as light? How can we walk in wisdom? God, he doesn't leave us alone, thankfully. Wouldn't that, whoa, 
That would be impossible. Um, no, we have to be filled by the Holy Spirit, by his very power, God's very power. And, and what a strange and, and great image this is. Uh, the commentators all say, why would Paul relate being drunk to being filled with the Holy Spirit? It seems weird. Um, and, and Tim Keller, in, in a sermon on this passage, helpfully says that Paul compares being filled with wine and filled with the Holy Spirit because being filled with wine makes you brave and happy. And being filled with the Spirit makes you brave and happy, but for completely different reasons. Okay? People drink alcohol to, to drown their sorrows, right? Alcohol is a depressant. Uh, it depresses your brain, makes you less aware of reality than you would be, right? A, with a hard day, a tough relationship, your mortality, right? whatever it is. Um, so if you're drunk, you're less aware of your physical limitation, of physical reality. So you're brave to do things you should not do, right? Um, once your brain is less aware of your sorrows, you can be happy for a time, right? That's why people drink. The Spirit, however, works in exactly the opposite way. Exactly the opposite way. Instead of depressing us, instead of depressing our mind, making us less aware of reality, He heightens our awareness to reality. He raises our awareness of reality, of who God is, of all he has done, of eternity, of all the things we've been talking about, so that you can be brave and happy. Your fear melts away in light of God's power. Right? You're brave to do the things you should do, things you're called to do. Your, your fear melts away in light, and your, your sorrow melts away in light of the hope that we have. You are happy even in the midst of your sorrows. This is the Holy Spirit. He makes us brave and happy. Uh, one commentator I read said that alcohol turns you into a beast and the Holy Spirit makes you truly human. When he fills you, when the Holy Spirit fills you, the text says that three main things happen. Okay? So this is what brave and happy people are like. What, what does it look like? Uh, first, the singing to God and others. Uh, verse 19, addressing one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with, with your heart. Drunk people might sing, uh, but they're not singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? Uh, not generally. Uh, th- these are songs of worship to God, songs of encouragement and truth to each other. You might never think of this, but this is, I think this is so cool. Do you know that we sing to each other? ever thought of this? Like, think about the songs, the songs we sing, right? Like, come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the king, right? Are we saying to God, God, come behold this wondrous mystery? No, he, he is the mystery. Right? No, we're saying to each other, come behold the wondrous mystery. Let's, let's go together to the Lord. Let's think of him together. I want to encourage, right? This is, we're encouraging each other, and it's so encouraging to sing uh, with you. I love it. Um, we sing for each other, and this is the Holy Spirit fills us to do this. Uh, we also sing to God. Uh, and look at this. It says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You might be like, oh, good, because I'm a terrible singer, so I can do it with my heart. Well, maybe. Uh, I think you're still supposed to sing with your mouth. But I, I think uh, this, is, this is amazing because um, anyone can sing from their mouth. But only a Christian can truly sing to God from their heart. Th- this is deep, deep heart joy because you're reveling in the realities of redemption. You've, you've probably experienced this. If you're a Christian, you've probably experienced this. There's a song bursting out of you. You're just doing the chores, and you're humming, and you're like, I'm so happy. Right? 
That's the Holy Spirit inside you. <clears throat> so first, singing to God and others. That's the first sign of being brave and happy, of being filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. Second uh, is giving thanks to God in everything. Okay, look what it says, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've already said uh, thankfulness is in line with reality, right? Shouldn't we be thankful? Uh, we should. But the true test uh, is when hard times come, right? This is the uh, in everything, for everything and always. That This is the challenge of thankfulness. Uh, this is where we need God's help especially. We need the Holy Spirit's power especially to give thanks even in hard circumstances. Um, I, I've read recently the book called The Hiding Place by Corey Tin Boom, which is just a wonderful book, and I keep using stories from it. And for the youth, uh, they're probably getting tired of the illustrations, but it's just, it just had a huge impact on me. Um, and it's a story of uh, Corey Tin Boom and her family who were, uh, who were Dutch watchmakers, and they, uh, they, they hid Jews uh, during the Nazi occupation of Holland in World War II. And uh, and so Corey and her sister Betsy uh, end up being put in prison, and they get moved around a couple times, but they, they eventually end up in uh, a concentration camp called Ravensbrück, right, in, in Germany. And, uh, and they're, they're there, and uh, they, they get moved to their kind of permanent barracks, um, and they walk into this huge room, and I think it's, it's meant to sleep 400 people. You know, it's kind of made for 400, but it's, there's 1,400 women in there. And so they're kind of crawling in. They're crawling up onto their bunk that they share with five other, five other women. And they, at some point, they're, they're kind, of, kind of trying to settle in. And uh, they jump up in horror because they realize this place is infested with fleas. Right? There's fleas everywhere, fleas biting them. And, and they just cry out to God, God, how can we handle this? What are we supposed to do? This is awful. And Betsy, uh, Corey's sister, um, says, says, Corey, what did we read this morning? I think God already gave us the answer of how we're supposed to deal with this. And they actually have a Bible with them. It's a miracle that they got the Bible past the guards, so uh, God really provided for them. But they have this Bible. So Corey opens the Bible, and she, she opens up to 1 Thessalonians. They were reading 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, it says. And Corey says, you know, what do you mean? And, and Betsy says, I think God wants us to give thanks for everything here. I think that's how he wants us to deal with this. And Corey's like, what are we supposed to give thanks for? Oh, my gosh. And Betsy's like, well, we can give thanks that we're together. We didn't get split up. And Corey's like, oh, you're right. Thank you, Lord, that we're together. And, and she says, we can give thanks that we have a Bible. That's a big blessing. And Corey's like, yes, Lord, thank you that we have your word. And Betsy's like, and Lord, thank you for the fleas. And Corey's like, are you serious? <laughs> You're thanking God for the fleas. Um, she doesn't believe it. And, and Betsy just says, it says, give thanks in everything, in all circumstances. The fleas are a circumstance. I'm going to give thanks for them. Okay, whatever. Um, the story goes on. And, uh, and, and really, talk about being light. These, uh, these two women are, are able to be a light in this, you could imagine, one of the darkest places ever. Uh, they, they are able to minister and love the women around them. Um, and one of, the, one of the things they do is at night, they hold a prayer service for all the women. They kind of gather in the back of the barracks under this one little light hanging down. They, they re read from their Bible, right, that they're not supposed to have, and they sing kind of in hushed tones. And, and the guards never bother them. They, like, the guards never come in and break it up, and they can't figure out why. They're like, oh, I don't know. I just think God's protecting us. Um, so they're, they're able to do this great ministry there. Um, and, and toward the end of their time at, at Ravensbrook, they, um, 
they hear some, some guards talking, two guards, and one of them mentions their barracks, and the other guard says, oh, I never go in there. That place is infested with fleas. And it just clicks for Corey right then. The reason why we've been able to be such a light, the reason why we've been able to do such ministry, to love these women, to help them, is because of the fleas. That's why the guards never come in and break up our, our prayer meeting. And Betsy was thankful for them, and I didn't understand. Right? It, it's incredible. What, a, what an example of people, of giving thanks in a circumstance that's horrific. It's terrible, right? We would all probably think with Corey, what could I possibly be thankful for? But give thanks in all things, and God was working all things for the good of those who love him. And he's doing the same in your life and in mine. Lastly, the last uh, evidence of being filled by the Spirit, of being brave and happy, is submitting to one another. Uh, verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. Uh, when the Spirit fills us, we come back around to what we talked about at the very first, love, right? Submission, putting down your rights and your desires in favor of someone else's. That's an amazing form of love. It's an amazing form of love. And out of reverence for Christ and full appreciation of the Father's love for us in Jesus, we love others, right? We submit to others. We want to be like our good dad. Maybe you say, uh, I want that. And that would be nice. I want to be brave and happy. I want to walk in reality. I want to walk in darkness and unreality. So, very practically, how are we filled with the Spirit? What can we do? Right? How, how are we filled by the Spirit? Two things. First, if you aren't a Christian, you can't be brave and happy in the Holy Spirit because you don't have Him. Obviously, right? You don't, you don't have Him. Um, Paul says to the church in chapter 1, he says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, so the first thing for you to do is to hear this gospel, right? That Jesus loved you enough to come and die for you, that he rose from the dead, that he's alive right now, and that he will accept you and forgive you if only you come and you repent of your sins and you trust him. You, you can be light. You can come to him. Christ will shine on you. And that's how the Holy Spirit first comes into your life. And you can begin to be brave and happy by his help. Second, uh, the second thing is that how, do we, how are we filled by the Spirit? There, there's a parallel passage, actually, in, in another of Paul's letters, Colossians, uh, Colossians 3.16, that says this, and you'll, it sounds familiar. Uh, uh, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, so it's almost the same, right? Ephesians says, be filled with the Spirit, and you'll do these things. Colossians says, let the word dwell in you richly, and you'll do these things, right? So being filled with the Spirit and letting the word dwell in us richly are the same thing. Okay, John Stott says, uh, a great preacher, we must never separate the Spirit and the word. To obey the word and to surrender this to the Spirit are virtually identical, which makes sense, right? The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. It makes sense. Uh, so very practically, we, we spend consistent time reading, understanding, applying, and obeying the Bible. We, we ask for the Spirit's help, his understanding, his filling, his power, and he makes us as brave and happy as if we were raving drunks, 
except we're not. We haven't been drinking. Think of, you know, the apostles in Acts. They're, they're speaking times. Everyone's like, they're drunk. I'm like, it's 9 a.m. We're not drunk. We haven't been drinking. This is the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, that's what we'll be like. We, we, we will be walking in love, walking as light, living wisely by being filled with the Holy Spirit. So may God give us grace, all of us, from the, the youngest Christian in here to the oldest Christian in here, to, to walk in the reality of God and all that he's done for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.